Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's time for Next Gen Friday. We are so excited about the future of our fellowship that we highlight the 40 and under pastors of CFM. We hope you are inspired by the deep bench of pastors and leaders coming up around the world. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Well, I do want to welcome everyone out this morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to welcome you that are here and all those of you that are joining us online. Very glad to be here this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 13. I do want to add just one more uh, very important announcement, and that is that December 12th is our official grand opening uh, of this building, and, and it's important because it's going to be a tremendous uh, opportunity to invite somebody to church we're going to honor the people that have uh, built uh, the contractors, subcontractors. This has been our harvest field over here for the last 10 months as we've come every day expecting to tell somebody about Jesus. There's new workers all the time coming through. And so we have saturated this place with a witness already, but we're going to believe God to bring those subcontractors and contractors back December 12th along with family members, friends who uh, maybe you've been wanting to invite. It's a great excuse. And so we're going to have flyers, invitations. All of that will be ready uh, beginning next Sunday. But I wanted to give you a heads up on that. We're going to have carne asada afterwards. So that's kind of a big deal too. Don't forget free food, you know. So John chapter 13. I think I said John chapter 3. But John chapter 13. John chapter 13. One of the things I hated about school was taking tests. My week could be going really good, and then the teacher would announce that on Friday there's going to be a test, and the rest of my week is shot. Didn't matter how I felt up to that point, the test was coming, and they would announce that, and it was like the wind would be taken out of my sails, because the thing about a test is it's going to reveal what you actually know versus what you think you know, or versus what the teacher thinks you know. It's, it's interesting. You can stand there, and you could teach a class, and it could appear that everybody is just paying attention and absorbing what you're saying, and they're, they're smiling, they're, you know, they're, they're nodding their head, but you don't really know what they're learning until you give them a test. They don't really know what they're learning until they take a test. Sometimes you take a test and you're sitting there and, and as soon as you read the question, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't, th- I didn't even think that was an important thing to know. I, I, I should have paid more attention when it came to this one item. We could get our test results back and we realize, yeah, I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. I wasn't paying attention as much as I thought I was. And over the years, I've realized that the test is not a liar. You can make excuses. You can say the teacher's not a good teacher. 
You could say, well, uh, you know, I don't think they ever discussed that. I don't think that was ever on there. Or, you know, uh, uh, um, I'm just not good at taking tests. That's a good excuse. I'm just not good at taking tests. I learned stuff. I'm just not good at taking tests. You can say whatever you want. You can come up with any excuse. But at the end of the day, the test does not lie. The results of the test are a revelation of what you have actually absorbed and learned and can repeat back. I've learned that school was merely a reflection of real life because life will consistently test you. These tests reveal what we've learned or what we have not learned. They reveal our maturity or our lack of maturity, our lack of growth. We realize at the end of life tests that either we're being promoted or we're going back to the books to study a little bit more. God will use the circumstances of life to test us. And many times he himself is the one testing us. Events, challenges, changes, transitions, trials, blessing, even prosperity will all test us. Our faith, our loyalty, our obedience, our love for God and others will be tested over and over and over again in life. You know, when God was bringing his people out of Egypt, he tested them to see what they, if they would obey. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. When he brought his people into the promised land, he left enemies in place that were surrounding that land, and then he tells us why. Judges chapter 3, verse 4. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. This was something that King David understood. A man who knew God very closely. First Chronicles 29.17 I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. In fact, most of the great men of God uh, throughout the Word of God not only experienced tests over the course of their lives, but would actually ask God, test me, try me, Lord. Would you test my heart? Would you search my heart to make sure that what is inside of there is what you want inside of there? This truth goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. Genesis chapter 3 God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. They had everything they needed, a creator that loved them, that cared for them, that provided for them. But in the garden, God placed a tree. And this tree, he commanded them that they would eat from any tree in the garden except this one tree. It was the first test that mankind faced. It was a test of obedience It was a test of loyalty. It was a test of love. In fact, it was a multiple choice test. You know what makes a multiple choice test difficult is the multiple choices. I mean, if they were to ask you a question and then say, is it A or A or A or A, we would all pass that with flying colors. But what makes it a test and what makes it challenging is 
We have to discern whether it's A, B, C, or D, sometimes E, or F if they're feeling really crazy. And so God doesn't just place himself in the garden, doesn't just present himself as a choice. He gives them another option. Do you want me? Do you love me? Do you want to obey me? Are you going to serve me? Will you be loyal to me? Or will you choose the tree? It was a test. You know, love and devotion is tested when viable options are available to us. It tested the love and devotion and trust of Adam and Eve. And we know that they did not pass their test of devotion, but disobeyed, sin entered the world. But the purpose of these tests are so that we know where we are and we know what we have learned. Because God in his infinite love will not allow us to move forward in delusion. We will know the truth about what is in our hearts. Our deceitful hearts will be exposed to us through the test. We'll realize what we really believe, what we really think, how we would really act in a certain circumstance. Because a lot of times we think we're learning, but we don't really know until the test is presented. You know, sometimes we think we're further along than we actually are. Sometimes, man, you can think, man, my faith is really strong in the Lord. (laughs) And then you face a test. In our text this morning, we're going to examine a portion of Peter's life. A time when he figured himself to be a lot further along than he actually was. And a time when we see and we learn how God tests us and how he lovingly and graciously moves us past even the bad results that we might get on a test. John chapter 13, and if you want to leave your Bibles open, we're going to read chapter 13, and then we're going to skip forward and and look at the story a little later in, in Peter's life. Jesus says, My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Let's examine this time of testing for Peter, because in our text, Peter really does think that he is at a certain place in his relationship with God. He thinks that after all this time with Jesus, that he actually understands him and that he actually understands what's going on. He believes that he has a grasp on the mission of Jesus and that he has learned the lessons. And Jesus begins telling his followers that he's going to be going somewhere that they cannot come. Peter and the disciples, as we read, are a bit confused. And not just that, but they're a bit upset. Peter asks the question, Lord, why can I not follow you now? 
Like, I'm already following you. Why can't I just continue to follow you? And then he makes this statement uh, because he's heard Jesus talk about dangers that might be ahead. And he says, I will lay down my life for you. Now, just to be fair, Peter is not lying. He's not lying in this circumstance. He absolutely believes that this is what he would do. That if faced with a test, he would lay down his life for Jesus. He believes this with all of his heart. I like what D.A. Carson said about this in his commentary. He said, sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. At this point in his pilgrimage, Peter's intentions and self-assessment vastly outstrip his strength. Has that ever happened to you? In your mind, you've got it covered until you try. The other day, uh, Sarah and I were at the gym, and I was feeling pretty strong this last couple weeks, and so I decided I was going to up the weights on my workout a little bit, you know. I thought, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go that next level. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use a little more weight than I've been using. And, and so, you know, I got a little brave. I'm not going to lie. But in my mind, I was legitimately going to just push these weights like I pushed every other weight in my entire life. The problem is, once I tried to push the weights, I realized I wasn't ready for the weights. <laughs> it wasn't until I tried to push the weight, until I tested my muscles, that I realized, yeah, you're not that big and strong. You still got a long ways to go until you reach that level, son. (laughs) Let's go back to the gym and keep working on it. The problem is that Peter's thoughts of what he would do had not yet been tested. In his mind, he's right here. In his mind, I would die for you. I would lay my life down for you. In fact, the reality is Peter didn't even understand the questions yet. He didn't even understand the questions that would be asked of him. And so Jesus knows exactly where Peter is. Jesus is not deceived by Peter's words. And so he says to him, almost in a, it's a, it's a friendly jab, if you will. Jesus asks him, will you really lay down your life for me? Will you really Lay down your life for me. Did you hear what you just said, Peter? Did you hear your own declaration? Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Not once, not twice, three times. You think you'll lay your life down for me. You're about to disown me. That's what's really under the surface. But in Peter's mind, he's, he's walking around like he could push any weights he decides to put on the bar. He's walking around going, man, I got this thing, man. There's nothing that could stop me, Jesus. We're going to take this thing all the way. He is so emphatic about his condition, about his loyalty, about his love for Jesus. And then also notice uh, that all the other disciples believe the same thing about Peter and themselves. The Bible says all the other disciples said the same thing. They're all like, yeah, Jesus, we got your back, man. We're going to take care of you, Lord. You don't have to do this alone. 
We can go with you. It's one thing to say something and believe you stand firm in that statement, but there will always be a test that will reveal the absolute truth. And sure enough, Peter's test is just around the corner. Because again, God's grace won't allow us to continue in our delusion. So they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, and this is where we turn a couple of chapters over to chapter 18. And Judas is leading the way. Most of you are familiar with the stories. The soldiers and the chief priests are in tow. The Bible says in uh, verse 10, then Simon Peter, who, let me, I'm sorry, let me set it up a little bit better than that. They're coming to arrest Jesus, and they have uh, the chief priest, the soldiers are there. They're going to take him by force. Jesus asks, you know, who are you looking for? Uh, They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And as soon as he says, I am he, they back up and they fall to the ground. All of them. All the people that came to take him by force just fall to the ground. And then he's just looking at him. He's like, I'm sorry, who did you say you were coming to get? So they get up and they're like, Jesus of Nazareth, you know. And so Peter decides this is his moment. This is the time to prove that he is willing to lay down his life for Jesus. And he pulls out his sword and clumsily <laughs> chops off the ear. He's not either not a good aim or the guy was like doing some matrix thing. I don't know what happened. But all he managed to do was chop a servant's ear off. Not even a soldier, just a servant. Like you're attacking the wrong person. But here's Peter's, I'm going to show you. I'll die for you, Jesus. <laughs> he just goes at it. And sure enough, Peter's ready to go, for, go to war for Christ. To an extent. And on his own terms. He's willing to go to war for Christ. On his own terms. How he imagined it to be. How he fantasized in his mind it would be to go to war for Christ. But then Jesus commanded him in verse 11, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now Peter's confused. Because in his mind, when he said, I'll lay down my life for you, this is exactly what he had in mind. There was going to be a sword involved. There was going to be soldiers. There was going to be all kinds of violence and blood everywhere. And he's just imagining this is the way it's going to be. And now Jesus says, no, no, no. You you didn't actually even understand what kind of war I was talking about. You built yourself up to answer the questions to the wrong terms of war. To fight the wrong kind of battle. He's misunderstanding the entire premise of Christ and what Christ is doing. And the test continues as they take Jesus away. Peter starts following closely behind. And I'll I'll give you this one thing with Peter that you should not overlook. Is Peter was nothing if not brave and devoted and courageous. Because a lot of the other disciples scattered, Peter's still following him. He's still trying to stay in close proximity to Jesus, even when everyone else is not. He was loyal. He was devoted. And that's one of the things that will save you, even when you have a bad test result. Verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. 
because this disciple was known to the high priest, and he went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. And the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. Now, it's just a little servant girl. Not the people who really matter. It's not like I'm standing before the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders and the soldiers and all of Rome. It's just a little servant girl. So this doesn't really matter that much. The response that I give her is not a big deal. It's best to just act like I don't know him at all so that I could stick around for the real battle. He still doesn't get it. He still thinks uh, that there's a real battle coming along. And so he, in this moment, denies Jesus that he even knows Jesus. And the test continues. And God keeps asking questions of Peter. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. You know, it's interesting. The Apostle John, I love the way he writes specifically this chapter because from verse 18 to verse 25 where we're going to skip down verse 18 is peter's denial verse 25 is a continuation of his denial but in between it kind of sandwiched in between which you can go by and lead later what he read later what he does is he contrasts the response of peter to the response of jesus because jesus is standing up to his accusers And he is denying nothing while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. And it's like this incredible contrast. Why doesn't he just tell the whole story of Peter? He breaks his story of Peter into two parts. His first denial and his second and third denial. But in between, he shows Jesus standing up to his accusers, answering every question, not denying a thing. And here's Peter on either side of Jesus, cowering before his questioners. 
So it picks up in verse 18, meanwhile. So it says meanwhile, and it tells you about Jesus, what he's doing. And then it says, meanwhile, verse 18, or 25, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. And so he asked, so they asked him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? And he denied it again, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Man, you're caught cold-handed now. I mean, this was a man, you just cut his relative's ear off. <laughs> like, I think he would know what you look like, Peter. <laughs> and Peter emphatically denies it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Three questions on the test, three wrong answers. Now, even in today's school grading, you're not going to pass with that kind of result. Just like that, three denials. Jesus disowned by Peter in one night. But it all happened so quickly. It's almost like a dream. Like, it's almost like Peter must have heard that rooster crow and thought to himself, am I, am I sleeping or something? There's no way that just happened. I like how Matthew words it and tells this story. He says, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He comes to a place and he realizes, after three denials and the rooster's crow, that he had failed the test, that he was absolutely sure he would pass with flying colors. And he begins to weep bitterly. See, failing a test or getting a, long, a lot of answers wrong can affect different people in different ways. I was reading about a woman named Mared Folkes uh, who was studying pharmacy at Cardiff University. So this woman had taken her uh, pharmacy exam and she had uh, failed her exam and they allowed her to retake it. And so she retakes the exam, and within a short period of time, she gets an email with her final grade. And the final grade was a failing grade. And so what she does is she drives to a bridge and she commits suicide. Because she failed the exam. The problem is that the email she received was wrong. They forgot to add her latest exam retake grade she was actually not just passing she was passing with flying colors because when she retook the exam she was uh, she scored so high that it brought her entire grade up and so here is this woman who didn't know how to process failure properly and as a result she takes her own life but that's not even the end of the story that's not even the real result and the tragedy is that I've seen this happen in a spiritual sense as well. People go through things. Uh, their faith is tested. Uh, their obedience, their love, their loyalty uh, to God is tested. Uh, and they don't do so well. Uh, they fail the test. Uh, they're looking at the results. Uh, and they're uh, upset. Uh, they're disappointed in themselves. Uh, they're weeping bitterly over their lives. Uh, and instead of going back and humbling themselves uh, with the results before God, uh, they throw their hands up in surrender and they drop out of the race completely. Well, what's the point? I'm no good at this anyway. 
I I never seem to get anything right anyway. I might as well just give up. I, I might as well just quit. What's the point? I guess I wasn't cut out for this. This is the contrast to our story with Peter's failed test because another man was failing at the same time. Judas was also tested and his greed proved to be a stronger influence than his relationship with Jesus. And he also greatly regretted his mistake, but he did not process it correctly. And the Bible says he dropped out completely of the race. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That is your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. He dropped out of the race because he failed a test. Because a test of his faith didn't quite have the results he thought it might have. How can I ever recover from such a thing? How can I ever recover? I denied my Lord Jesus. I rejected him. I I turned in innocent blood. How could I ever recover from something like this? And this is where the devil begins to work his magic. He starts to convince you that there's no recovering from this. That this kind of mistake you can't get over. That this kind of failure of your faith, of your obedience, of your loyalty cannot be overcome. Earlier when Jesus was preparing Peter for this particular test that Peter was going to go through, he gives us some very important insights on what to do when the results aren't favorable. Unlike Peter, Jesus knew that Peter would not do so well on this particular test. There were issues of pride and arrogance that were inside of Peter's heart. He misunderstood the mission. And there was a real enemy that would use this opportunity to tempt Peter away from Christ. To work his magic to try to pull him away from Christ. And he says in Luke 22 verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. God had a goal in this test, but the devil also had a goal. And that was to utterly destroy Peter and the other disciples. And so Jesus lets him know that their ultimate destruction is really what the devil's after. He is after their faith. He is going after the bottom line, the currency of our walk with God, which is our faith. But he continues... I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. You know what Jesus did is, he did for Peter what Peter didn't even know he needed to do for himself. He prayed. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for prayers. Man, we don't even know we need them sometimes. We don't even know how overwhelmed we are. We don't even know the next battle that we're going to face. We don't even know how heavy things can be when we're going through them sometimes. And Jesus told Peter, I'm going to help you through this. You're not going to answer all the questions right on this next test, but I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray for you, not that you get all the answers right, but that even when you answer the questions wrong, that your faith would not fail, which means it's the word to cease, to stop, that you wouldn't stop believing in me in spite of the problems you are encountering and in spite of the very real failures you're experiencing in your life. 
Then Jesus gives another key to how we are meant to respond to an unfavorable test result. He says in verse 32 of Luke 22, And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is the key. Peter, you're going to go through this, but it's not just for you. This testing of your faith, this trial... These circumstances you're going to face, it will feel like it's all about you and the devil will make you want to feel like it's all about you, but it is so much bigger than you. You're not going to get every question correct. You might fail altogether. And when you get the results, you might be tempted to be ashamed and embarrassed. Peter, you will deny me and you will weep bitter tears but the result will be that you will be better able to help your brothers who are going through it as well. You'll turn back to me, he says. You'll turn back to me. You'll refocus your love and your obedience on me. And when you do, the lesson will become valuable not just for you, but for your brothers as well. When you turn back, strengthen your brethren. Barclay was commenting on this scripture and he says, we cannot really help others till we have been in the same furnace of affliction or the same abyss of shame as they have been. This truth was even said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. You know, every med student understands that every test may eventually save someone's life. A med student has to comprehend that I'm not just trying to get the answers right so I can pass. I'm trying to get the answers right because the information that I'm processing will save somebody's life someday. That someday what I'm learning, what I'm being tested on is critical to saving someone else's life. The lessons you learn might help somebody keep their faith when they feel like letting it go. When they see you go through your test, when they see you go through what you go through and yet you still glorify God and you're still looking unto Him, the author and finisher of your faith, there's a testimony that goes forth that other people look at and they say, if He could make it through it, I could make it through it too. And Jesus tells Peter, when you turn back, strengthen your brethren, there's a purpose that goes beyond you in this test. Most of us are familiar with the rest of the story. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. God raises him from the dead. He begins to appear to many of his followers. And John in particular tells us kind of, I think, the most inside scoop about what happens afterwards. Peter decides to go fishing. And uh, it doesn't appear that he's in the best of moods. (laughs) I would imagine that he's not feeling so good about himself after emphatically proclaiming that I'm going to, I would lay down my life for you and then he can't even stand up to a servant girl and then not just once but three times. He could have excused that one but then three times and he's just sitting there all in a span of an hour, all of his dreams and fantasies and all the ideas that he had about how strong he was are blown away and all the disciples decide to go with him fishing. They fish all night but catch nothing. And in the early morning, Jesus is standing on the shore. They don't quite 
recognize him, but he stands on the shore and he tells them to cast their nets on the other side. And uh, they take in this huge catch and they realize it's Jesus. And I want you to watch what Peter does because this is key. Chapter 21, verse 7 of John. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. He, he doesn't wait and say, You know, let me just, can you guys row me to shore? This is like a scene right out of Forrest Gump. I mean, this is Forrest Gump seeing Lieutenant Dan and just jumping off of his boat and swimming towards him without any, any recognition of what's happening with the boat. Peter just jumps off and he just starts swimming towards Jesus. But you know what many people do in a circumstance like this? They swim away from Jesus. They're so ashamed, they're so embarrassed. How can I face him? How can I even go to church? I can't lift my hands like this. What kind of hypocrite am I? I said I would die for him. I said I would lay my life down for him. And now I, I feel like I'm nothing. I feel like I'm a nobody. But if Peter realizes that he might be a nobody right now, but he's swimming to a somebody. A somebody who wants to heal him and restore him and bring him back to a place of prominence in his life. Because healing and restoration can only happen when you jump into the water and swim towards Jesus. This is where we begin to see how Jesus teaches us lessons from an unfavorable test. Because verse 15 through 22, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, for you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times he asks him the same question. And three times he gives him the same basic response. This is not to shame him. This is to redeem all three bad answers with the right answer. He is saying, Peter, I saw you each time you answered the wrong question. Every time you answered, gave the wrong answer, I saw you. I saw you. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I'm not just looking over like, oh, what you did was not a big deal, like it was always a small thing. I'm letting you know I saw exactly the mistakes you made. I saw exactly where, where things got shaken in your life, and I saw each one of them in detail. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this is a question that reveals the answer because every time he said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, <laughs> after all this, I've learned one thing. You know what's in my heart better than I know what's in my heart. And you should be able to look in my heart right now, Lord, knowing all things and knowing that I sincerely love you. Amen. I may have messed up. I may have dropped the ball. I may not have done everything right. But you know, Lord, you know all things. You can look in my heart. I love you, Lord. And at each time, Jesus gives him the answer 
feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It was the same thing he told them earlier when he said, after you've turned back, strengthen your brethren. That this was not just for you. This was for others. Take the lesson learned and take care of my sheep with it. And as we watch Peter move forward in scriptures, we can see that he did just that. He realized that I failed so that I could help others pass their test. Jesus says, no matter the test results, turn back and take care of my people. Turn around and do for them what you could not do for yourself. Strengthen them when they're feeling weak. Uphold them. Pray for them, just as I did for you, that their faith would not fail. That no matter how crushed and overburdened they feel and overwhelmed at this time, pray for them. Come alongside them. Add strength where their faith is weak. Let me ask you a question this morning. How are you processing the tests of life? Jesus asks a lot of questions when he tests us through various things. He might be testing you through prosperity right now. He might be prospering you and blessing you beyond your wildest dreams. He might have placed something in your hands. He might have put something there, entrusting you with something. And maybe, maybe at this point right now, you, you haven't processed it right. Maybe you haven't stewarded it the way. Maybe, maybe when you first started, God, if you'll bless me, I promise you, Lord, if you give me a million dollars, I'll give you 900,000 back. I'd die for you, Jesus. But now, a million dollars later, you might be having a hard time giving them 100,000 back. But guess what? It's not the end of the world. It's just a revelation of where your heart really is. And now you can bring that heart that was deceiving you before, before the Holy Spirit and say, I was wrong. I did not quite know what this took, and God, now I need you to help me get it right. That's, that's how are you processing the test? Well, I might as well, you know, forget all this and blah, 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 blah. No, don't walk away. Don't drop out of the race. He might be testing you right now through a very difficult season of suffering. Maybe you've lost a loved one or a a friend or a loved one has fallen sick. And all these questions are going in your mind. And maybe you've looked at it before and said, you know, if I'm ever faced with that, I, I sure would like to think that I would handle that right. But now there's all these questions that you're asking and you're wondering, I don't even know if I should be asking these questions. Things are spinning in your mind. Do you still trust God even when things are spinning? Will you still obey Him even though you don't understand what He's asking you to do? Or why He's asking you to do it? He might be testing your loyalty and obedience right now. Are you allowing something to take His place on His throne in your heart? Maybe something good has crept in and you're starting to pull allegiance away from christ you're starting to obey the idol that you've placed on the throne of your heart instead of obeying him and it's pulling you and you never thought it would come this way and you're saying god this is a good thing i i can't i can't believe i never thought that it would interfere in my relationship with you but you find yourself your loyalty is being tested god's asking you them or me them or me that or me Your job or me? 
Well, I didn't think the question would be asked that way. I thought it would be, you know, uh, people with machine guns saying, you know, uh, answer me. Do you, do you love Jesus? And I would say, I love Jesus. He's Lord. But it's not a machine gun. It's a policy in my workplace. But I wasn't, it's just a little servant girl. It's just a little something. I'm just going to, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. I could sign that I believe this. Sure, I could sign it. It's just a little servant girl. I didn't think the questions would be asked like this. Wait, I, I've got to compromise something in the word of God to keep my job? That's coming, folks. And I'm not talking about compromising something you just don't like. I'm not talking about mask mandates. I'm talking about something in the word of God. I'm talking about your faith being brought into question. What you believe, that you have to sign something that she says you believe this is okay. And you know it's not okay. The word of God declares it. But when it comes to you, it just looks like a little servant girl. Is that the way you thought it was going to look? You thought it would be aggressive. You thought there would be a guillotine involved, you know? You thought you'd have to declare your allegiance to Christ publicly on national television, but this is just in an office with your boss. How are you doing with the tests? The biggest question of any test in the kingdom of God boils down to our faith. Do you trust God? There's a couple that went out with friends of theirs, and their friends were multi-millionaire, multi-millionaires. And so they are going to a restaurant, and as they're walking into the restaurant, this multi-millionaire sees a penny on the ground. And he goes down and he picks up this penny and he kind of polishes it off and he puts it in his pocket. And the, the wife of the other couple is sitting there and she's watching this as they go in. She can't shake this. Here's a multimillionaire and he just picked up a penny off the ground. And so they get into the restaurant. They're sitting down and she can't shake it. They're, she's trying to order her food. She can't shake it. She's like, and she just stops and she says, sir, I am so sorry, but I have to ask you a question. I saw you out there in the parking lot. Pick up that penny. You are a multimillionaire. What do you need a penny for? And the multimillionaire said, the value is not in the penny. The value is in God we trust that is inscribed on the penny. He said, every time I see a penny, I reach down, I brush it off, and I read in God we trust to remind myself that it's in Him I'm trusting, not in my riches. No matter what we go through in life, no matter the tests, no matter the problems, no matter the questions that are being asked, do you trust him? And will you trust him? Let's bow our heads this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around for just a couple of minutes. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.